Call, call the first case for argument, please. The first case for argument on Wednesday, January the 10th, 2024. Case number 21-1207 from the District of North Dakota, Eric Pomacia versus Morton County et al. Ms. Dugan. Thank you, Your Honors. Mary Ann Dugan for the appellant plaintiff, Mr. Pomacia, and I request five minutes for, uh, for rebuttal if that works out. Um, Thank you, Your Honors, for allowing oral argument in this case. Um, as you know, there are several issues uh, before the court. Unless the court has a preference, uh, I would begin with the excessive force claim, which um, I think took up the, the bulk of the briefing. Um, as you know, uh, this was thrown out on a 12B6 motion uh, based primarily on qualified immunity. Uh, for the officers who um, injured Mr. Pomakia during the Standing Rock um, protests. Uh, therefore, your review is de novo, and uh, we take as true the allegations in the complaint, uh, including all inferences uh, that could be taken in Mr. Pomakia's favor. Um, the court below in the record at A41 uh, acknowledged that the law is clearly established that um, Tackling a person who is uh, peaceful, who is not fleeing or resisting, uh, may constitute excessive force and should not be thrown out as a matter of law on, a, on the pleadings. Can I ask just a, an initial question? How many of the defendants is this particular claim against? Is it just Swenson and the Doe defendants? Yes, Your Honor. The excessive force is against Swenson and the Doe defendants. Yes, Your Honor. Uh, Mr. Uh, Laney was involved in the actual arrest and the forced march to the van, but not the uh, tackle. Um, so the, the, uh, the lower court's decision in large part turned upon the court's view that, um, the, that Mr. Pomakia was fleeing, and therefore uh, no reasonable officer would have not believed it was okay. It was okay... It, it was reasonable for an officer to believe it was okay to assault him. Um, but this is a, an issue of fact, which um, has, uh, it's similar to the cases that we cited both in the 28J letters and in the um, opening and reply briefs, um, where... The, dif the difficulty I have with the, the presentation, like the briefs, makes no mention of our in-bank decision in Kelsey, which is controlling on our panel, in which, in which a divided in-bank court ad admittedly addressed all his questions, his questions of, of pa tackling a passive resisting suspect, misdemeanor suspect. And in my, in my view, at page 830 of that opinion, our court describes the district court's reasoning exactly the way you're arguing and the way you're describing the district court's reasoning here, and then said, we reject that. So you, and, and you know, there's a long passage, and, and it, it explicitly involved a takedown or tackle of someone who was walking away but not obviously endangering anyone, although there was someone off in the distance who actually perceived a threat. So you, you've got to deal with Kelsey. That's our law. 
Otherwise, you're arguing to the in-bank court. Okay, and I am not remembering the facts of that case, but was that a summary judgment decision or 12B6? Uh, because I think I, in general these cases have gone at least to summary judgment, um, and even there this court has reversed in similar situations where summary judgment was granted or has upheld the denial of summary judgment um, such as most well, recently. It, it, it was at summary judgment, but the question is whether, it seems to me, the undisputed facts, almost the facts as pleaded, put this case squarely into the, into the uh, uh, Kelsey um, target. Well, Your Honor, here... We have, affirmed, we have affirmed qualified immunity at 12B6 stage many times. Here, Your Honor, uh, there was no order for him to stop. There was no statement that he was under arrest. He, as in uh, Nieder's uh, most recently, which um, Judge Kelly joined, um, the, uh, there was a fact issue of whether the, um, the person's reaction was a flight or simply a reaction to being assaulted by a police officer suddenly. Uh, similarly, um, in uh, there's issues of fact regarding um, compliance in BAUD, uh, B-A-U-D-E, that's the Kettling case that was recently decided um, in which Judge Kelly joined. Um, there's the Lombardo Supreme Court case regarding resistance where the court very recently said that the Graham test requires balancing uh, of all the factors, including whether, even if somebody was fleeing, it, there has to be balancing, and it, that there's generally an issue of fact as to what a reasonable officer would have perceived as to resisting or fleeing. That's not a question of fact. Well, the, the objectively reasonable aspect of the analysis is the ultimate question of law, which can be decided by the court at any stage of the, of the process. Well, this court said otherwise in uh, all the cases cited in our, 12, uh, our 28J letters, as well as the reply brief starting on page 5 and going through page 12. Um, in Wong Sun, the Supreme Court said it's an issue of fact. In Lombardo, the Supreme Court said it's an issue of fact. Uh, in Mitchell, this court on a 12B6 motion against one of the same defendants, Kirkmeyer, said that uh, the use of less, less lethal uh, weapons so you think a jury gets to decide whether whether uh, Officer is it Swenson was was objectively reasonable in tackling? I in viewing in viewing uh, your client as if not fleeing, refusing and uh, refusing to stop and stay. Well, at least it gets to the summary judgment stage, Your Honor, where the where the burden would be on the plaintiff to present some evidence to rebut. Why, why do we waste everybody's time if, 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 if there's enough on the face of the pleadings to, to for qualified immunity purposes, fit this within Kelsey? Because the court, in the cases I've just cited, repeatedly has said... How many said, are after Kelsey and how many... A circuit. I don't care about any other circuit. I'm talking about Lombardo, Supreme Court, Wong Sun, One, Supreme Court. Those, well, those are way pre-Kelsey. Kelsey... Kelsey relied on, on uh, the uh, Casella, which is far later than, than uh, the cases you're, Supreme Court cases you're relying on. And then, and then we have Escondido. Since that, you know, well, this, has been a, this, is, 
this has been an evolving process with, with respect to qualified immunity and excess force cases. The Supreme Court has evolved, and we have tried to keep up with that. Very recently, less than two years ago, if I recall correctly, Lombardo, the Supreme Court, clearly said that the Graham factors require balancing and involve issues of fact. Here, the issue of fact is whether a reasonable officer would have perceived that Mr. Pomakia was fleeing when there was no arrest uh, statement he was under arrest. There was no order to, given to him to stop or do anything. He was simply charged at and assaulted with what, his what, pelvis what, being what, broken. What, Sorry. Go ahead, I just have a procedural question. Sure. The video, was the video before the district court? The video was, I'm not sure if it was in, there was a, a large amount of uh, material that was submitted by the defendants in asking for judicial notice. And yes, I believe in our um, response to the 12B6 motion, we inserted a, an HTML, uh, I mean, a, a, a URL for the uh, video, yes. But the, apparently, though, no one objects to the video being viewed by the court in this context, right? Correct. We requested, yeah, okay, we, thank you. we requested judicial notice, and it was okay, not. Uh, well, it's okay. 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 What role does the executive order play in all of this? Well, the executive order um, was an order saying that for the safety of the protesters, because of flooding, that they should leave. And this, this happened after that deadline had passed, right? Like maybe a couple of hours? Correct, Your Honor. On the same day, I think. Um, so, so does that do any work in terms of letting your client know that he needs to be um, off the property? Everyone knew, and this is undisputed, that they were being um, ordered to leave. What was not uh, ordered was for Mr. Pomaki to do anything in particular at the moment he was assaulted. For example, stop, lay on the ground, whatever. You know, no order was given. Um, if you watch the video, and the first 36 seconds are literally all you need to watch unless you want to watch him being forced to walk on a broken pelvis. Um, uh, there is no order given, no statement that he's under arrest. He simply is pleading with them as human beings, and then dozens of officers charge at him and break his pelvis. Uh, so the, the executive order... Uh, and I see it, my, I'm running into my re rebuttal time, but thank you, Your Honor. Uh, the executive order simply said that for safety, people needed to leave, and they were ordered to leave. But he wasn't in particular ordered to do anything before he was assaulted. So there was, just briefly, there was no announcement, or was there, to the crowd, the time has passed, you need to be off the property? I think earlier in the day there was, not at the moment he was trying to have a conversation, and in particular, uh, as alleged in the complaint, trying to negotiate a peaceful uh, movement of the elders out of the camp. Thank you, Your Honor. Mr. Grinnell. Justices, counsel. My name is Sean Grinnells. I'm here re representing the defendants of Pelley's Morton County, Morton County Sheriff Kyle Kirkmeyer, 
Bismarck officer Benjamin Swenson and former Cass County Sheriff Paul Laney. Uh, opposing counsel has admitted that there was an executive order. There were actually two executive orders by two successive North Dakota governors for the evacuation, mandatory evacuation of You're the area. You're talking too soft and fast for me. At the time of the incident at issue, there were two uh, evacuation orders from two successive North Dakota governors for this location, one in November of 2016 and another one week prior to this incident on February 15th of 2017. Both of them were mandatory evacuation orders. The second evacuation order that's attached to the appellant's reply brief as Exhibit A uh, expressly uh, noted that the protesters had not complied with the first mandatory evacuation order from November of 2016 and therefore set a firm deadline of 2 p.m. on February 22, 2017 for the mandatory evacuation of this area. That's not in dispute in this case. That alone establishes officers had probable cause to effectuate the arrest of Mr. Pomakia as well as every other person who was in the mandatory evacuation area without authorization from the superintendent of the highway patrol. So, so is it your position that um, he should have just understood that from 2 p.m. on he was not lawfully there under the executive order and therefore just being there was, was a law violation and so they needed to go and... Um, take so, him, take him? So on that point, there's two issues here. One is, was there probable cause for the arrest? And then secondly, was it justified to use a tackle to apprehend him? So yes, just his being present uh, established probable cause. And of course, this whole analysis is from the perspective of what the officers on the scene, what was objectively reasonable for them to believe at the time. They were aware of these evacuation orders from the governor that was issued to the local political subdivisions to enforce. Uh, so, it, so if I could interrupt there, just so I understand, and I apologize if I should know this, but the executive order, that's something they could arrest on because it, it, even though it came from, the from, I guess, a temporary executive order? Uh, yes, okay. uh, the executive orders, and in the executive orders, the governor lists the law on which he's issuing them, and one of them is the Emergency uh, Declaration Act under North Dakota law, and a violation of that is... is so that, is, that counts as just a statutory violation? It counts as a statutory violation. Uh, also, uh, the protesters at this location were also... They were trespassing at the time, too. Uh, so, and, and I'll get to this in a moment, the facts as alleged by the plaintiff, the admissions made, establish uh, obstruction of a government function. He admits that he was 15 feet from a line of uh, riot-clad gear officers uh, negotiating the evacuation of the elders, in a, pe a peaceful evacuation of the elders. In other words, he wasn't negotiating his own removal from the vicinity. He was negotiating for someone else. He asked the officers to lay down their badges as he's walking towards them, uh, a further act of defiance and aggression towards the officers, and that's when the officers it, proceeded is, towards them. Is that them. viewing the facts? I mean, it, this is at 12B6. He's saying it was peaceful and and uh, that was not what I was intending to do. Is that a proper inference to make at this stage? So this is a 12B6. Uh, but 
what he's admitting he did, again, his admission he's located at that particular vicinity and admission that there was mandatory evacuation orders establishes he was violating the law simply by being there. Now, I know they want to focus this case on whether or not the officers felt reasonably threatened by his moving forward towards the police line. I don't think the court even needs to go there because one of the factors on justification for use no, of... Kelsey makes that clear. Kelsey makes that clear. But one of the, uh, you know, one of the factors for use of force is, was the person fleeing? Were they fleeing arrest? His own admissions established he was fleeing arrest. He wants to try and characterize it as he was afraid and trying to a defensive tactic by running away from the officers. But he didn't turn around and begin to flee from the officers. He first stepped forward, made it perfectly clear from his admissions that he wasn't leaving voluntarily. It doesn't have to be fleeing, does it? Uh, it doesn't have to be fleeing. It can be resisting arrest. It can be evading. But in this case, it's clear he was. Well, he approached, and then when they... When they Bonded. came forward, he ran. He ran for 30 feet before they caught him, and he admits he knew they were chasing him, and yet he continued to proceed away from them. I know they've stated in their opposition brief, or excuse me, in their opening brief, that uh, he was fleeing in a direction back towards the protester camp, and so he wasn't really fleeing because he, the, the camp was surrounded by law enforcement, is the allegation. Well, he's fleeing to the location he felt safest with the rest of his comrades who weren't were disobeying the evacuation order as well. So that, that was fleeing. Uh, it's just clear. There is no question of fact on that issue. Is, does the record um, provide any explanation of what people on, how people on the scene would have interpreted a request or demand to lay down your badges? Could you repeat that question? Well, was there anything in the record? Was that your does, question? Does the record reflect how either or both sides would have, would have interpreted what that meant at at the time? Well, the I, suspect, the I suspect there's a history to that. There is. I'm the just one, I just wonder: is it part of the of the record? Well, the plaintiff did admit in his pleadings, <laughs> and the district court noted that he alleged that in the months leading up to this incident. Uh, the locations of the protests, including this location, have been turned into a war zone between law enforcement and the protesters. Uh, the district court noted the allegations were pointing out it was a tense situation. Uh, the officers were obviously there. He, he alleges there were 30 officers in a police line wearing riot gear. So, that, you know, uh, there's a reason for that. Um, he admits they were there to evacuate the camp. Uh, that's not disputed. Um, what did the district court mean when it said it was a war zone? That's the, the plaintiff's allegation. So he's just repeating what the plaintiff alleged. Yes, what, what, what is, I mean, we don't really know what that means, right? Well, yeah, the, the pleadings... It sounds pretty desperate, but I don't know what, uh, I don't know what that means exactly. It seems to, but anyway, go ahead. Sure. Well, as to what war zone means... You know, I guess if we're limited to the pleadings as to, um, you know, uh, there, there was a history out there. The pleadings don't explain what that history necessarily was, other than protesters had established themselves in encampments south of the Cannonball River, including this location. We don't need more facts and why this, I mean, I looked at the video several times, and uh, it seems to me that the video shows exactly a situation, the situation exactly as the uh, defense, as the plaintiff described it, and that 
there was, uh, I don't, it seems to me there's a, some difficulty here saying that the uh, plaintiff was acting in a threatening way. Well, I, again, Your Honor, I don't believe the court even has to address that issue because I think just the, uh, the his act of fleeing from the officers, that alone justified the use of a tackle. The act of what? The act of uh, fleeing from the officers. Well, fleeing, but I mean, I don't know if that's fleeing in the sense in which cases use the word. I mean, he was certainly running away, but I suppose if I were being, if I perceived myself as being unlawfully pursued by somebody, I think I'd probably run away too, but that's not, it's not clear. It's not, I don't think there's a good case here that he was resisting arrest because he was never told that he was under arrest. There well, was never a warning given. They just suddenly, you know, one, as I see the video, one officer sort of in the middle of the pack four or five seconds after this gentleman had moved forward broke ranks and then everybody started running. I mean, um, that's a reasonable inference from the video. Well, I would disagree with that, Your Honor. Just I'm based sorry. on, I would disagree with that, that analysis. Uh, his admissions are he knew that they were there to evacuate the camp and he wasn't, he wasn't complying with that. He was negotiating for other people to leave the camp and he's asking the officers to lay down their badges. In other words, don't perform their public duty. Uh, that, okay. So, you know, there, there is case law in the Eighth Circuit that says even when you have a misdemeanor involved, you can use force to apprehend someone who's fleeing to stop them and to effectuate an arrest. And that's our position, is that's what happened here, is that... Uh, so how is this case different from Kirchmeyer? So in, in Kirchmeyer, the, and there again, that's a 12B6 issue. In, in, uh, uh, is that Mitchell versus Kirchmeyer yeah. you're referring to? So in that particular case, the plaintiff's allegation was he was standing with his hands in the air, perfectly peaceful, not doing anything unlawful, wasn't fleeing, and he was shot with a less lethal munition in his eye socket. Okay. Uh, so that one's actually distinguishable from our present case. It wasn't a case involving a, uh, an allegation of fleeing. The, the, question, the question is, I understand the factual difference, but the question is whether it seems to me we could, a reasonable jury might find that there's no real evidence of a flight from arrest in the way that term is used technically. He was certainly running away. But there are cases that indicate that merely running away isn't necessarily uh, an unlawful resistance. Well, as the district court found, Your Honor, uh, the parties hadn't cited any cases that was factually similar to our situation where uh, the suspect advances on officers involving a, like a mandatory evacuation area. Uh, the suspect knew he wasn't supposed to be there. Uh, runs for 30 feet before being tackled, makes no attempt to uh, stop at any point to allow the officer to effectuate, uh, to handcuff him. He keeps running, so the way to stop him. Qualified immunity requires a case that's exactly on all fours. I mean, you never get identical cases, or almost never. Cases are like snowflakes, so you've got to, you've got to make some sort of generalization about them. At some level, I realize that qualified immunity requires you looking 
look requires you to look at the exact circumstances in which the claim arose. But at some point, you've got to make some level of generalization because you don't, you never get identical cases or almost never. And on that point, Your Honor, I, I believe that the, the case law says that the uh, precedent must uh, squarely govern the situation so that the officer on the scene, that all reasonable officers would have understood that their conduct uh, violated a constitutional right? Here's, here's the standard on this. Our in-bank case in Kelsey, quoting Ashcroft versus Al Kidd, a plaintiff must identify either controlling authority or a robust consensus of cases of persuasive authority that place the statutory or constitutional question beyond debate at the time of the alleged violation. Correct, Your Honor. That's, that's our law. Correct. Because it's the Supreme Court's law. And as the district court, you know, in his decision, uh, Judge Trainer noted that uh, there wasn't a general consensus of law on this issue that would have found that the conduct of the officers at issue violated, clearly violated a constitutional right of Mr. Pomakia. Um, well, yeah. I think, I mean, we in, in uh, Mitchell against Kirchmeyer, we said we've held time and time again that if a person does not suspected of a serious crime, and this isn't one within the meaning of Kurtzmeyer, is not threatening anyone. It seems to me there might be a question of fact there. Uh, and is neither fleeing nor resisting, uh, then it is unreasonable for an officer to use more than de minimis force. And so I'm wondering why you don't have a question of fact here with respect to whether this person was fleeing within the meaning of the technical term of fleeing. And, and there again, Your Honor, I guess our position is that uh, the plaintiff's admissions as to the totality of the circumstances that was being presented to the officers at this time, that he was fleeing. There, there really is no question of fact on the question of fleeing. But I'm talking about the legal definition of flight in the context of an arrest, which is similar, it seems to me, to resisting arrest. You're fleeing from an arrest knowingly. And I don't know that, I'm, I, I'm not, I'm, it's not a, I don't mean to be rhetorical here, but I don't know that that, that, that's, that this case is that clear. I'm not sure there's not a question of fact here on that. Well, yeah, I see my time is almost expired, John, but I, again, I guess we would just disagree with that analysis. Um, uh, he understood he wasn't supposed to be there. Uh, he was telling officers late on their badges, there was probable cause to arrest. Uh, he was running away from the officers. They had to chase him for 30 feet to capture him. Um, our position is that uh, this case does squarely fall within the line of cases where you can use force to apprehend someone who's fleeing arrest. Thank you. Thank you. For rebuttal. <clears throat> Thank you, Your Honors. Um, I've checked the briefs. I don't see any mention of Kelsey, Your Honors, if I would have permission to file a one or two page supplemental brief on Kelsey. I would appreciate that since it's come up so much in this argument. I don't know how it wasn't found before, frankly. I'm not sure, Your Honor. I, it's not ringing a bell. I well, apologize. I, I, you know, we can read the dissent in Kelsey. I can't imagine you'd say any more than the dissenters would. Okay, thank you. Um, so, uh, 
in uh, Mitchell versus Kirkmeyer, the court cited a case called Small v. McChrystal, where the uh, plaintiff uh, had been assaulted by police while he was walking away from them towards a trailer. But the court held that it was he was not in flight or resisting arrest because he had not been told he was under arrest. And that's 708 F3rd at 1005. Uh, I did cite that in the 28J letter uh, about uh, Mitchell v. Kirkmeyer. Uh, so I just wanted to remind the court of that. Um, the, wa the war zone uh, phrasing, I just searched for that. It, it only came up once in the complaint in passing. And I think uh, our young associate may have uh, decided to be a bit um, purple in his prose. Uh, and I don't think it's relevant to any of the claims here. Uh, but Graham clearly uh, makes clear, Graham makes clear that the court must uh, look at the totality of all the facts, uh, that this is generally an issue for the jury. Uh, the court has to balance the severity of the crime along with the threat to the officers and whether he was resisting and whether he was fleeing. Um, the executive order did not but say that's, any... That's on the merits. Graham wasn't a qualified immunity case. Well, there's still issues of fact in qualified immunity in general, unless there's a clear issue of law, which is not the situation here. Well, that's the, that's the question. The executive order did did not say anything about criminal penalties. It was a safety eva evacuation. Uh, as in all the uh, several of the cases we cited, he was not given any opportunity to comply. He was not told he was under arrest. So is your view of the the... I guess the authority or the power of the executive order in this case different than your opposing counsel? Yeah, I think, uh, yes, Your Honor. The executive order, uh, even if violating the executive order was a crime, which we dispute, uh, if that was a crime, the court must still weigh the severity of that crime against the force that was used. Um, and as for the fleeing Wong Sun, the Supreme Court, made clear that that's an issue of fact when there's just like a sudden appearance of police. Wong Sun was where uh, the police came and pretended to be picking up laundry and then said, we are police officers, and the guy slammed the door and ran uh, and was assaulted and, they, and arrested, and they said it's still an issue of fact, uh, whether he was fleeing or just a surprised retreat, which is what we argue happened here. Um, the trespassing also is an issue of fact, uh, which is a very complicated issue of Indian law and treaties. Uh, and as for stepping forward, um, the video makes clear it was just a couple of steps in kind of entreating while he was speaking. Um, and I ask that, that the court reverse and allow this case to go forward. Thank you, Your Honors. Thank you, Counsel. The case has been uh, thoroughly briefed and well argued, and we will take it under advisement.